you can see injury or perceive injury as something positive you know it can it can disrupt your life but you can grow from it you can develop from it and uh, that's what I tell athletes all the time you know the way you your mindset and the way you perceive an injury can determine your response to it and of course there's common responses to injury from from a psychological perspective um the way you perceive it can ultimately determine the outcome to your rehabilitation to returning to sport and to the rest of your career as well. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Cubicle Athlete. I am your host Derek and today I'm speaking with Carl Biscobi who is a PhD injury psychologist and the founder of Evolve Injury Consultancy where his focus is to support athletes through the mental side of injury and rehabilitation and getting them back to their sport. And with that said, let's start the show. All right, great. We're recording. So we have Carl Biscobi on the podcast today, who's an injury psychologist. And again, Carl, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time this Sunday evening. I'd love to get started with, because I know you have a very extensive background in performance psychology and injury psychology. You have a PhD, so there's a lot that we could really get into here. I just really want to start with your origin. What got you interested and started in the field of injury psychology? Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, just thanks again for having me on. It's great to, to talk to others around this area. I guess for me, I've always been interested in sport from a young age. I, I played rugby from when I was at school all the way to university to a fairly high standard. And at the same time, I was interested in how we think and how we behave and the emotions that play a part in sport. And that kind of promoted my interest in the subject. So I kind of went through uh, university and I, I studied sports psychology and I followed that with a master's. And then in 2017, I, I started my PhD which kind of ventures more into the medical side of rehabilitation. But yeah, it's kind of done a 360 around sports psychology and, and injury. I fell in love with the area and, and the interest with it. And yeah, I just wanted to see what I could contribute to that specific area. Did you ever have a, a significant injury yourself? Did that play a role in your interest in that? Or Yes, it, it, it did. Absolutely. I think throughout my, my playing career, I mean, it was never at a professional level, but nonetheless, like injuries occur at every single level. And, and I ruptured and tore shoulder ligaments. Uh, I broke my arm in two places. Um, I had plenty of knee injuries throughout my career. And again, I think the biggest thing for me was that when I was injured, I would really struggle with the mental side of it and trying to control my, my anger, my frustration with being sidelined. Um, and often... For me, it kind of promoted unhealthy behaviors where I'd want to just get back in the game as soon as possible. I'd, I'd try and play when I was injured or, or return to, to sport well before I was ready to do so just because I just wanted to get back. And I just couldn't really put my finger on what it was that made me feel that way about injury. So I wanted to learn about it. And I wanted to understand it more and see how understanding psychology and how we think, feel, and, and act around that could facilitate my recovery and, and give me a better focus on returning to sport. So I guess, yeah, to answer in, in short to your question, that 
the injuries I experienced, although nothing kind of career in, ending as such, it was certainly um, kind of sparked my interest in how I could potentially help other people navigate the murky waters, if it were, of injury. Well, yeah, that definitely gives you a good perspective on it, having experienced it yourself, because uh, I've had a lot of injuries, I never shoulder, but um, I know those could be really bad. And, and I mean, just injury in general, it's so... I. I like I said before we started recording, I've had so many of them. I'm actually dealing with one now. I had an MRI just on Friday on my knee. You know, it's frustrating because in, in sports, athletics, fitness, uh, anything within that world, it's all about progress, right? And, and just to have that huge hurdle in front of you that's not only stopping progress, but it's hindering it. You're taking multiple steps back. Yeah, just just on that, I guess flipping it back to you on on your injury experiences, if you don't mind me me asking. I mean, how have you managed and dealt with the mental side of that? Have you found it challenging at times? Or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So to give a, a brief history of it, with me, it's always been my knees. Uh, when I was nineteen, I was playing basketball, and I had a bucket tear of the medial meniscus in my right knee my knee was locked in place. And I, all I was doing was I was in like a full sprint down the basketball court and it just popped. And I was in excruciating pain because I was so young. The surgeon said, Hey, we, you know, we really want to save that ligament. Let's not shave the tear off, which is what they normally do. They wanted to repair it, which they did. And then once I was 26, I think I was, I was snowboarding, went off a huge jump, landed weird, and then it just reopened. Uh, so then we did the meniscectomy. Um, the recovery at, of those two injuries, I feel like I did pretty well mentally. It was frustrating for sure, but I was really eager to, I, I saw it as an opportunity and especially the, the second one, I was lucky to, uh, one of my favorite athletes was, uh, George St. Pierre, an MMA fighter. So I, I injured my knee right around the exact same time he did. And there was all these little promo videos of him in rehab and getting stronger and better. And it was, it, it just gave me a lot of motivation. And I, I really did see it as an opportunity to just get better. And, uh, I almost, it's a little weird to say, I almost enjoyed it, you know, like, yeah, I didn't let the, I mean, there was the initial frustrations, but, uh, maybe a day later, like I continued to go to the gym. I went to the gym on crutches. I was like, you know, I'm not going to let this stop me. Um, I ended up getting surgery and then going to rehab, like all of the uh, physical therapists were great and they loved my attitude. You know, I wasn't there. uh, So yeah, it it really, I think I I handled it pretty well. Now I'm 33, about to be 34 and I'm starting to get early signs of arthritis. All right. Okay. Um, that's why I just had an MRI. And uh, I'm definitely dealing with a lot of frustrations. <laughs> you mm. know, it's like, okay, like arthritis is, it's a little different. That's a different game. It seems like, um, you know, it's not like a, a quick surgery, a little rehab, and then you're good. Uh, and then I'm just dealing with the fears of what's that mean when I'm in my 50s? What's that mean when I'm in my 60s? So there's a lot of that going on. Um, yeah, that's it. I guess um, when an injury comes back to you later in life and can impact, either the quality of your life or, or disrupt your day-to-day that you're doing, it can be a challenge. And I, I guess that's the big, the big challenge for a lot of professional athletes at the moment as well is, you know, what they put their bodies through day in, day out. 
how sustainable is that? And when they look to retire, you know, what kind of impact is that going to have on, on the long term of, of their kind of health, their body, their function? Uh, and then the kind of frustrations and the mental side of going through that and the, the bodily changes as, as you grow older, like, yeah, it can have a huge long lasting kind of sustaining effect on, on, on yourselves. Yeah. Well, I, I, and for lack of a better term, I don't know if this is the right word, but it feels emasculating, you know, like, it's just like, you're, you're not what you were, uh, your body is failing you, you know, that mm. you, so you kind of, that's some of the inner dialogue that, uh, you start, at least, you know, me, I would start to go through. And I, I think I'm getting pretty good at navigating that and being able to like, not let that affect me or not let that negatively impact any way I go to rehab or, or get better. Um, you know, cause it's, what I learned, especially uh, in the gym, trying to get stronger, it's like, okay, there's specific things I can't do anymore in the gym. And that's fine. You have to make adjustments, have to adapt. And there's been almost like a weird joy in figuring that out. So just from my perspective, it's like, yeah, okay, I can't squat, you know, 300 something pounds like I was doing when I was in my 20s, but I could do a lot of other stuff. And there's a big focus now of not just getting stronger, but just getting staying healthy, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's funny because the onset of this signs of arthritis two months ago, I probably felt the best I've ever felt physically. And I started, I started doing these sprinting drills and that's where my knees started to hurt. So yeah, it's like, all right, two months ago, I literally felt like I was at my peak physical shape. And now it's like, all right, yeah, I can't do sprints. I can't, uh, it's just, yeah, it, it's, it's a big setback for sure. Yeah, and it, and I mean, there's a, there's a couple of points you you mentioned there, which is really interesting to touch on. One of them being when I work with injured athletes or transplant athletes, which we'll come on to a, a bit later for sure. But the instant kind of impact of an injury can be very mentally draining in a way. But whereas because you've got sudden loss of of movement of function, um, you're sidelined there's that automatic kind of stop to, to what you're doing. But what you're talking about here is, you know, when you, you're kind of discovering your body's limits as you go through life, it's, it's kind of like a weird notion that they, they call something called biographical disruption, where, where what you're doing in, in you, the biology, your inner self is disrupted at different stages. But if it happens over a prolonged period of time, you can kind of navigate those yourself and it's less of a disruption whereas something like an injury stops you suddenly so when you're talking about going to the gym and finding out what the things that you can and can't do anymore you're kind of navigating that path in life and yeah it can be challenging at times but I think it's less of a challenge than an automatic you know disruption to to your athletic career where you, you're sidelined for 12 months say right yeah, I, I think of a lot of uh, professional athletes because it, it seems like just your general attitude, your your mindset to that injury, I feel like, and you can certainly touch on this, there seems to be some kind of biological response because you, know, you can go into your rehabilitation with such a negative mindset and a negative attitude towards it. And I have to imagine the physical response, you're just not really going to put that much into it. You know, like mm -hmm. I sometimes do have that inner dialogue, which is, all right, well, this is it. Like you just can't 
you know, I, I play a lot of hockey. So when I, I feel a little bit of a setback, sometimes my mental default is like, okay, you can't play hockey anymore. <laughs> like maybe like, you know, 20 minutes later of feeling bad for myself, it's like, all right, well, let's not just be too drastic. Let's either go see your doctor, do a, 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 an x-ray or start yeah. going to the rehabs. Like, okay. And then, like I said, two months ago at 33, I really do think I, I was like in the best shape of my life. So uh, I'm trying to tell myself, you know, the way my knee is feeling right now, it doesn't mean that that's permanent. And I'll just have to learn how to uh, adapt if, if it is uh, a slight pain that I have now. Um, but I do think of, are you familiar with uh, an MMA fighter, Michael Bisping? I've heard the name, but... Yeah, he was the, uh, he's the first uh, champion in the UFC that's actually from the, the UK. He sustained an eye injury. I think it was 2013. And he was never like a contender for a title. Um, he was just this kind of like grinder, maybe ranked somewhere in the middle of his weight class. And so, yeah, he gets an eye injury. It was like a, a, a couple of eye pokes, I think it was, in, in the fight. And his eye never looked the same. You could tell his eye was just, he had a detached retina. Oh, wow. Okay. It looked pretty messed up after that. But he continued fighting. His next four or so fights were whatever. I think he had a couple of wins, a couple of losses. And then he made some huge changes in the gym. I think he got a new coach. Uh, it was a boxing coach. And he went on a five-fight win streak. And he ended up winning the championship belt. Wow, amazing. He defended it, I think, once or twice. Anyways, he looked so much better. And after he retired... I think he was on a podcast and it was the first time he told anybody he took his eye out. He had a fake eye. He had a glass eye. He became the middleweight champion with one eye. Wow. So I, I think of that a lot of a, you know, he had a setback, but I seriously doubt he was feeling bad for himself and he was going through all these mental hurdles. I feel like, you know, he was all right. Like I just have to learn how to be better with one eye now, you know? And yeah, I, I like using that as an example and seeing what he did. And, and you see the exact opposite in some people and some athletes, you know? That's it. I think you, you've nailed it on the head there. And that, that's a great example to kind of show you can see injury or perceive injury as something positive. You know, it can, it can disrupt your life, but you can grow from it. You can develop from it. And that's what I tell athletes all the time. You know, the way you, your mindset and the way you perceive an injury can determine your response to it. And of course, there's common responses to injury from, from a psychological perspective. Um, the way you perceive it can ultimately determine the outcome to your rehabilitation, to returning to sport and to the rest of your career as well. So yeah, I think that's a fantastic example to give people that hope or, or just that example of, of what it can be coming back and what a comeback could look like. Right. Um, it, can really really help so yeah i mean on the opposite end of that spectrum and i'll stick to the same sport uh, you know ronda rousey yeah yeah she, so she i mean i don't know if we want to call it a, a big injury but her first i think it was 10 11 maybe her first 12 fights uh, she won all in the first round um or yeah. uh, for the most part and she was completely dominant and then her next fight she gets knocked out brutally like really bad and never looked the same. She came back like a year later and she looked like a deer in headlights. Like she didn't know how to fight anymore. Got brutally knocked out again and then she retired. So her response obviously was the complete opposite of Michael Bisping. You know, she, there, there, there was probably a lot of fear involved uh, 
in her response, but uh, not the example I think we want to follow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's two sides to every story, isn't there? And there's yeah. um, there's certainly I think from my perspective as uh, as performance like um, working in in this field, it, it's about trying to to help support athletes on the best way to to rehabilitation possible for them to return to sport at the the level that they're looking to to achieve. But I mean, in terms of some of the, I guess, common responses to injury, the, the easiest way that I kind of explain it to people is that you have these three different phases. You have the kind of reaction to injury, and that's kind of the, that initial frustration, anger, denial in some cases when, you, when you're facing a long setback, when you're kind of looking at that injury severity and kind of trying to make sense of it, really. And that could obviously promote those negative thoughts when you're thinking about how long you're going to be out for or, or whatever. And that could also lead to those negative emotions. And, and typically those emotions are kind of that anger, that depression, that frustration uh, around the injury. So, so that's the kind of first stage that you typically would be faced with is that reaction to the initial injury. And then as you go through, you kind of the middle stages of the rehabilitation, you have this reaction to, to the rehab and you start questioning your rehab program and, and thinking a lot about it. And, and for some, it can still be, be frustrating. You can still experience that poor adherence to, to that rehab and you could lack motivation or impatience or you know, really wanting to get back to sport at that stage. And then we have this kind of reaction to the return to sport where you're trying to kind of learn from your lessons of the injury and the rehab and the timeout. But you also have this excitement to return to sport. But then in some cases, you have this fear, like you mentioned, of, of returning and getting worried about re-injuring yourself. Um, in, in Ronda Rousey's case, it, it might have been the latter where she was fearful for, for another knockout or head injury or something that could set her back significantly. And that could lead to people being very cautious in their return or, or not 100% committed to that return. And so that there's plenty of different ways you could kind of look at um, how people respond to, to injury from that psychological perspective in a way. Sure. Yeah. And what you just said reminds me of, uh, it's so strange, but I, I've been experiencing this a lot lately to make myself uh, be completely open here and vulnerable to everyone listening. <laughs> uh, for like the last, I don't know, maybe six months, even though I, I was feeling great, I still had that fear of like, you know, if I'm sitting on the bench about to get on the ice to play hockey, like, all right, an injury could happen here. or uh, Like I need mm. to be careful. Like, so I kept that. It was always in the back of my mind. And strangely enough, for whatever reason, I keep thinking it's going to be an Achilles injury. I've never had an Achilles injury, but I think like I, I saw a video or two of someone getting an Achilles injury right. okay. that like has been, it's just permeated my mind when I'm working out or uh, if I was playing hockey, it's very, yeah, very, very strange. And again, I think it was just seeing an Achilles injury happen. And then it was like, okay, that's like, I'm doomed for that to happen to me. And it, it, it doesn't, it's not always there, but it'll show itself here and Come there. Come in and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very strange, but it's frustrating because I'm almost feeling like, am I doing a self-fulfilling prophecy here? Am I going to rupture an Achilles because I keep thinking about it? That's it. Yeah. You, and you obviously, you always get that moment where 
if you're in a team sport and one of your teammates goes down injured and it's a bad injury then you know those those alarm bells start running around the head you know what if that was me you know what if that is me next time what's that going to look like and and you start you know you get that that real fear for, for the injury but from your perspective and please feel free to to say no if you don't want to answer this but like what was your how did you cope with that or what was your mental response when when you're immediately thinking about an injury that might occur I try to push it away as difficult as it is. Sometimes I don't successfully do it because the first thought is, hey, like you could really injure yourself here. Like, again, the weird specifics of an Achilles rupture that comes into my mind. And the next thought is, all right, Derek, stop thinking about that. You're going to almost like will it into existence. You know, you're you're doing some kind of self-fulfilling prophecy, like stop thinking about it, stop putting focus on it. So then it's, it literally is a a conversation that's going on in my head where I'm telling myself to just knock it off. I'll usually have a physical response too, where let's say I I then get off the ice. I just finished my shift and I'll start stretching my Achilles and I'll hydrate. I'll drink a little extra water. You know, I I try to like, like if I keep thinking about this happening, I really got to start physically reacting to it and try to prohibit it from, you know, prevent it from, from happening. Yeah. And is that kind of a conscious thing that happens or? Yeah. Is it just, yeah. So you're consciously thinking about what I can do to prevent it. So you've gone down the kind of preventative approach to your behaviors. So what you do is you rehydrate, you stretch to make sure that you're limiting any kind of possibility of injuries. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny too, because the last time I went to uh, physical therapy was for my knee. And I mentioned that to my physical therapist and he was messing around with my Achilles. He's feeling it. And he's like, yeah, it's like from what I could tell, like it doesn't seem to be too tight or, and I, another weird thing is I started getting, I haven't had this in maybe, I don't know, it's been a while, but I was getting these very, very low calf cramps in my sleep. So that might've caused my, you know, it, it kind of fueled the fire, I think. Yeah. Okay. And when you went to the therapist, did that, once he kind of checked your Achilles out and said it was fine, gave it, gave it once over, did that kind of restore your confidence in it, it did yeah that helped a lot it's funny that you ask that because i've noticed that with myself a lot where uh you know the last time i had uh an mri on my knee so my <laughs> i have so many injuries my left knee has had a torn meniscus for the last 8 years um which hasn't really prevented me from being that physically active. It'll show itself here and there, um, a little pain, but for the most part, especially physical therapy has really helped a lot. It was last summer, it started to really bother me and I stopped playing hockey for maybe like five or six weeks. And I went and saw an orthopedic surgeon, did an MRI on it. And he's like, yeah, you have a tear there, but uh, and he was comparing it to the MRI I did eight years prior to when I initially got the tear. And, I was, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, that tear must be so much bigger now. You know, it's hurting me. It must be so much bigger than what it was eight years ago. I'm going to need surgery. And the surgeon looks at the MRI. He's like, no, it doesn't really look bigger at all. He's like, it looks fine. I don't think you need surgery. You should just do physical therapy. That day, I feel the pain went away. Really? He told me something. My mind was just fighting my body. Like, no, like you're, you're damaged. You need surgery. And once the doctor was like, no, you look good, man. 
And then I, I started playing hockey like two weeks later, I was going to physical therapy and uh, everything was great. <laughs> so, wow. That, yeah. I mean, I guess a lot of the work that I do is, you know, that, that re-injury kind of anxiety is a huge part to play when you, re- when you return to sport. Um, it often promotes those kind of negative emotional responses that you, that you spoke about. So it is about restoring confidence in athletes' abilities to kind of perform on a bodily level, like a physical level, like trying to restore confidence in the fact that your knee is, you know, like you say, it, it's, it's functioning fine, it's, it's, it's strong, it's, it's looking good. It's not something you should worry about. And I think we get a lot with ACL injuries. Uh, it's about restoring confidence in that knee because, yeah, it's it's one scary road for, for anyone returning to sport when they have torn um, ligaments or, or anything is that they've worked, they've rehabbed that for the last however long, you know, how is that going to stand up? And, yeah, it's it's just about kind of restoring confidence. And a lot of things that we do is and this is quite left field in psychology terms, I try and get athletes to visualize the tendons, the the ligaments healing as they go through the rehabilitation process and try and get them to understand what their knee looks like on the inside. And as they go through it, they start getting an understanding of ligaments, of where things sit and lie, and trying to visualize that being strong and healed uh, and fully bonded together when they return to sport can really help in restoring their confidence in, in their capabilities to, to perform at the level that they, they want to perform at. Sure. I don't know where I got the idea from, but I actually would do that a lot. I don't know if there was anything like this out there, but I remember when I was doing that, I was thinking it'd be great if there was some kind of video game where you could do that and actually physically see it yeah. in the knee and you see the ligaments, so you see it injured and you see it slowly healing it'll just kind of give that visual representation and, and maybe help your mind kind of focus on that. And, uh, pretty left field. I agree, but uh, I, love, <laughs> I, I love the idea. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, if it works, there's plenty of different stimulus that, that can influence you. So, you know, if that works for some people, then, then yeah, it's great. It really helped them return to sport in, in a way that that's possible for them. So Sure. Sure. Well, yeah, just that visual representation could, I think it helps mentally for the confidence. I wonder, and again, very left field, but I wonder if there's some kind of weird placebo effect there of seeing, because mm. we know obviously the placebo effect is very real. Um, how much of it could, it, I don't know, again, left field, just a thought. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see what, if there is research out there, if there is people working in that area. What I haven't seen much evidence of things that exist around that apart from kind of imagery scripts and things to get people visualizing about about what it is that makes up the anatomy of of the injured part can really help just educate them on different components of their body and just that education component can just help them just move beyond the recovery um, periods that they stuck with that's very interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to bring this to uh there was a term that uh, you shared with me before we started recording. Uh, you had mentioned, you know, just discussing injury from a biopsychosocial perspective. Yes. So that's a very new term for me and I I looked it up. Seems very interesting and it, it, it's very intuitive. It makes sense and I'd love for you to give us a, a the definition exactly what that means and uh, what it encompasses and how you think it applies to injuries and rehabilitation. Yeah, absolutely. So 
it's a model um, and I use it a lot to place my consultancy on because I think what we've discussed already is that the biological side of things really does interact with, with the psychology and, and the social side of things. So to, to give this model a bit more light, it's, it's composed of, of seven key dimensions. That is injury characteristics. So that is the history of injuries. Have you been injured before? How many times? The, the type of injury that you get, uh, the severity of it as well. So how long are you, are you out of sport for, out of action? That's the kind of injury characteristics. Then you have your sociodemographic factors, your you know age, gender, your race, ethnicity. These kind of all play a part, which link into the biological factors, which is you know how your body copes with it and, and what you're doing um, in between. So that's like your, your tissue rep repair your immune function how well you sleep your nutrition those kind of components which then on on the kind of fourth phase is that psychological factors you know how you think act behave regarding that injury and then you have the kind of social side which is you know your your social support your your rehab environment other stresses in your life whether it's work whether it's school commitments whether it's university relationship whatever it is can have an impact on the injury and on the outcomes so this kind of model goes through and tries to take the biological factors the psychological factors and the social factors and kind of merge them together to create the kind of biopsychosocial outcomes and this is what i base a lot of the work that i do because i just it's just so telling in how they they all do interact and no better way to see that than with injury because it instantly impacts you on a biological level. And I work within the psychological side of things so I can see how it in impacts you psychologically and, and also socially. So without trying to go too far into the model, it's just about those three key components, which for me really, really helps shape the work that I do in that space. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, like I said, it was a new term. And once I started to read about it, it made a lot of sense. And I never really saw it for, from that perspective. I mean, the main thing that really stood out to me was the social aspect. I had never considered it. And it's definitely a thing. And I'm curious to hear if you have any like specific tools and techniques that you use to implement, you know, or that you do implement when you're working with an injured athlete. Uh, that's within that context of the biopsychosocial model. And again, the social aspect to me, it just, that's what was so new to me. I get the, the bio aspect, I get the psycho aspect, but the social aspect yeah. is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess um, from that kind of social perspective, if you were, if you think about being injured and ceasing your performance, um, whether team or individual sport, you're kind of immediately disconnected in terms of your social network. Your social network changes. These are the your social network is the kind of people that are important to your your athletic career or your life, right? So if we think about an injured athlete who suffers a serious injury and is out for the next six months. They're going to have less contact time with teammates, coaches, support staff in, in some respects. They might have increased contact with physios, doctors, physicians, uh, and so on. But their network changes. So that kind of sparked my interest in the social side of how 
we could best support athletes that are navigating injury. And I guess social support interventions are based on the assumption that increasing your kind of support network reduces those kind of negative psychological perspectives about the injury. So we do a lot of stuff on, um, I'd sit down with athletes and map out their social network and we'll discuss what kind of support they need and what support um, is required to navigate their their injury, their rehabilitation and their return to sport. And I guess this is where I do a lot of work with coaches and with team-based sport because it's about educating the coaches, the medical team, the physios and everyone that supports an athlete throughout the injury about their role and the importance of their role in supporting that athlete. I think that's the biggest thing that I've done to help support around kind of social support interventions is just educate coaches, support staff, and give them an idea of the kind of support types that athletes are requiring throughout their their injury, which could really aid their recovery. Is there a, do you have a, a specific example of that? Like, let's say the conversation you're having with a coach about one of their athletes that was just injured is it kind of just educating them on what that injured athlete is like what their mental state could be in right now and what kind of psychological support they could be using from a coach yeah i guess for for working with coaches it's about letting them know that these athletes are, are still there they're in the picture they they need support now more than ever the, the their social support network can really help aid their recovery and aid their perceptions of the psychological consequences of injury. So you need to be mindful of that as a coach to to look out for these athletes. So we do a lot of work with setting up support groups for injured athletes to all come together and little things like training together or creating a little hub of, of injured athletes, the injured athletes club or something that they can come together, share their experiences of injury because injury can be a very isolating experience for some people, disconnected from their teammates. They, they face the rehab journey a lot on their own in the gym, and it can be challenging. So it's about trying to bring in that social perspective, let coaches know that athletes still need to be supported in this way. So what can you do to help facilitate this and setting up clubs of injured athletes or setting up an environment where injured athletes still feel that they're part of the team? can be really useful in in kind of facilitating that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure just like a simple, you know, again, from the coach's perspective, simply reaching out, texting them. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. And it's, I guess, um, from an athlete's perspective, when they're injured, they have a lot to worry about with their injury, with their recovery. They don't need the coach breathing down their, their necks, asking when they're going to be back and, you know, things like that. So it's just about, or even the coach just not talking to them at all and, and checking. Yeah, exactly. Them, right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think it's just about that education piece for me and my, and my practice and, and getting that message across that, you know, we need to support these athletes. What can we do to help facilitate this interaction with, with the coach, with the team um, to kind of, yeah, best support them in, in, in a way. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I'm going to steer the uh, conversation towards your your PhD research because uh, once you uh, you told me what your research was, it I thought it was super interesting, and uh, so I was wondering if you could touch on that 
what your research was, what you, you know, just kind of get into the depths and the details of it. Cause I'm sure our listeners are going to find that very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So given my background in sport injury, psychology, I've always had an interest in it. So I took on a PhD to kind of understand the mental side of transplant athletes and their experiences of their rehabilitation. So, and just real, real quick, a transplant athlete, meaning an athlete who had just received an organ transplant of some sort. Yeah, that's it. So it's quite, quite novel in a way, because you, you probably won't come across many transplant athletes in your day to day, but these are first and foremost individuals that have had a, a life saving transplant. So they've been chronically ill for a period of their life or for a long period of their life, and they've had a, a transplant. And this is kind of my research looks at how they recover post-transplant through sports. And it's really that, that same model that I apply in my performance psychology consultancy. I, I use that kind of psychosocial perspective with these athletes. So to give a little bit more, more insight for those, for the listeners that probably don't know about organ transplant, because I guess it's not that well known. It's a kind of medical procedure that is often offered when someone needs an organ because their organ has failed or they've had a chronic disease like end-stage kidney disease or, or liver disease, which means that they, they need a transplant or they'll be on a machine for the rest of their lives having to go to hospital every day and get treatment. So it's really about negotiating that life after a transplant which is crucial to, to the survival of these athletes. So they have to have a healthy lifestyle, engage in a very rigorous kind of self-management protocol, which involves a lot of medication and a lot of aftercare procedures. But for some, they want to take part in sport because it kind of promotes that active lifestyle, that healthy lifestyle, and gets them fit and strong and healthy to, to progress. So that has been the way I frame my research. and there really hasn't been that much research that has explored transplant athletes experiences of navigating their life after a transplant and a transplant isn't a cure just to to clarify it, it's a treatment plan so for a lot of these individuals that have had a transplant they are having to negotiate life with constant medication so they have to take um, something called immunosuppressives which essentially suppresses the immune system to stop your body wanting to reject the organ that's put in it. So as human beings, our bodies are very, very smart. And anything that we put in our body that is foreign, it will want to reject it. So when it's someone else's organ uh, from another person, your body automatically wants to reject it. So these individuals have to fight with this throughout their whole lives and take drugs to suppress their immune system enough that it doesn't want to fight the new organ but not too much that it makes them really ill so they're going through this ebb and flow of of negotiating where they need to position their immune system as they navigate life and yeah it's it's incredible what these guys can do and i kind of i i track their journey through sport and try and understand why they take part in sport from a psychological perspective, from a social perspective, and how that kind of helps and aids their recovery. 
Yeah, because I'm sure a lot. I mean, that's a whole other level. I mean, that's not even an injury, right? I mean, that is something that's the psychological hurdles involved with a, a transplant and having to go through that. I mean, the pre-operation or pre-transplant has to be a crazy journey. And then once that's done, I mean, we were talking in the beginning of the conversation about the fear of re-injuring yourself. You know, me thinking of my Achilles rupturing, they're going through a whole other type of conversation in their heads. Like what if this new kidney gets rejected and fails? The consequences there are much more dire than uh, me having a ruptured Achilles. So that the psychological aspect of that has to be, and your, you as, as in your profession and playing that role and helping them, that is your approach. Cause I know you're still approaching it within that biopsychosocial model, as you said, but it seems to be a little more intensified with these types of athletes. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually, when I started this research back in 2017, I had no idea what these athletes or, or individuals were going through after a transplant. And it can have a massive impact on, on the psychology. To give you one example, when you have a liver transplant, your transplant releases a lot of toxins, which can influence and impact your mental state. There's a connection between the mind-body here and your liver is specifically crucial in, in that role. So a lot of transplant athletes that have had a liver transplant often um, suffer from something called encephalopathy, which is a mouthful in itself, but essentially it's the psychological battles of going through a transplant and just removing a transplant and, and getting a new one can, can have a huge psychological impact. So going back to the biopsychosocial model, it kind of just reinforces that model as, as something that really does resonate with me because I can see examples in my day-to-day -day interactions with these guys, how the mind-body does really connect in that way. Have you, have you ever read a, there's a book I read recently that blew my mind. That's all about this. It's a book called How Death Becomes Life. Oh, I've got that book. Yes. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. How Death Becomes Life Notes from a Transplant Surgeon. Yeah, it blew my mind. And uh, I remember just seeing the cover and it's what intrigued me about it. And my wife, she's now a labor and delivery nurse. She started on that floor earlier this year. Uh, for the previous two years, she was on the advanced heart failure floor at uh, Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. Wow. Okay. And uh, so she was seeing a lot of these patients before needing a heart transplant and she was sharing with me and you know you've done a lot of research on this so you'll know the i mean just the spectrum of people and how their mental state and their attitude towards this unfortunate thing in their life it, just how they approach it you know like she had some patients where they were in the hospital on her floor for over a hundred days waiting for a new heart and they still had such this positive attitude very friendly with everybody and then you'd have these people that were in there for, let's say, 15 days and were the exact opposite, just miserable and, and feeling sorry for themselves, which, you know, it's hard to argue against why you would feel sorry for yourself. But there's there seems to be a, you know, there's a choice there. And in your profession, it seems like you're really helping people navigate towards that right choice of viewing it in a that unfortunate thing in their life as more of a possibly an opportunity, you know, an opportunity to view life as this gift that you have. And, you know, we're all here for a limited amount of time, but, you know, hopefully you'll get that new heart. And then hopefully if you were an athlete and that was a big part of your identity, you get back to playing the sport that you love. And um, so I don't know, I, I'm going on a tangent. 
earlier, but it, it was so interesting to me that you did that. Yeah, no, you meant you, you mentioned some really good points there because I, I guess you, you are at what at one stage you're, you're navigating individual kind of responses to to something so life changing, and for some they could be ill all their life from the age of three up to the age of of 40 and only need a transplant at 45 when their when their liver kidney eventually fails you know there can be a slow progression or, or decline in in health um to, to lead to that others can walk up the stairs one day and um be fine walk up the stairs the next day and be a bit breathless and need a heart transplant the day after so it really does change but the, the one important word that you used was gift a lot of the rhetoric the conversation that goes around with transplant athletes with transplant recipients is to kind of feel fortunate that they have this second chance of life this gift of life they call it i think a lot of them do because the alternative is is a lot worse it's it's not being around anymore so they they generally do take this perspective on that they are fortunate they've got the second chance of life and they're going to do the most that they can with it. And the other really key point that you mentioned was that identity that these individuals have. And for a lot of the ones that I work with, they were athletes before. So it was about kind of resuming that, that identity and being able to participate in sport to take a bit more control back of their lives and, and get that sport identity back, which is so important to them. And I think when you navigate something like chronic illness or, or needing a transplant, you do lose identities that you have along the way. And that could be one of the biggest struggles from a psychological point that you could be faced with. The, the kind of physical stuff is taken out of your hands because you have surgeons, you have doctors, medical staff that look after you in that way. But it's dealing with the disruption to your identity, to your day-to-day -day life that could be really, really difficult for people to navigate. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I have to imagine, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear how you uh, go about this because there's got to be a lot of biological limitations once you have a, an organ transplant. As you mentioned, they're on immunosuppressants, so their immune system is not working as it normally should or could. And uh, I guess my question is how you compensate for those limitations because you still have to kind of keep their morale up and also their performance, right? They're going to play a sport. They're going to compete, right? But I, I have to imagine that there's some limitations there. You can't really be just overexerting yourself in the gym preparing for a sport or really being out in full-on sprints. Or am I wrong there? No, you're, you're absolutely right. And um so I, I work with an organization called the World Transplant Games. They're kind of almost like Olympic style competitions for, for transplant athletes or anyone that's had a transplant to take part. And they have quite a rigorous protocol before you can take part in the games where you have to be medically checked to, to make sure that you're fit and healthy enough to, to take part. But the limitations are, they can be drastic on your body. I mean, for one, the immunosuppressives suppress your immune system, so you're more susceptible to, to other illnesses, other diseases. Things like the common cold become a huge factor in that. Things like COVID would be catastrophic to these individuals because they're classed as the, the, the vulnerable population. So generally, anyone that has a transplant, they can't usually take part in contact sport. So I, I work with some martial arts transplant athletes, and they've had to 
obviously give that up after they've had a transplant and resume sports that are less physically contact orientated. So when you have a transplant, you, you can't be forced into contact positions that might disrupt or or tear anything that's that's been in place. So so yeah, on those levels, you you are kind of physically limited in what you can do. But the the kind of resiliency and the 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 strength of some of these characters that will go out there and will give it their all on a hundred meter sprint or fifteen hundred meters. And and some of these some of these athletes are are fitter than you know your, your normal athlete that um, hasn't had a, a transplant or a chronic illness. So it is just incredible the kind of wow. the strength that they show in in that in that way. Yeah. That brings up a question that I wanted to ask was if you had any specific interesting or standout stories that you could share involving either your research or just working with some of these athletes. Is there any one in particular you worked with that's a really like standout story? Yeah, there is one specific athlete, a female athlete that had a a heart transplant. And um, the really interesting thing for me was that when she received a heart transplant, the nerves between the brain and the and the heart become disconnected. Something I never thought about before, because as your day to day, you don't think about how your brain connects to your heart, how your heart connects to your brain. It just functions and we, we just get on with our lives. But for these individuals that had a heart transplant and specifically for, for this, this one athlete, her, her brain wouldn't know when her heart needed to start working. So when she wanted to go and exercise, the heart wouldn't start pumping at the rate that you needed to, to perform an exercise. So it was a real challenge for her in her sport. She did a lot of athletics and it was about making sure your heart could catch up to your body and what you wanted to do because there was a delay. Her heart wouldn't naturally raise the beats to start supporting her in her, her quest. So she'd have to warm up for longer and cool down for longer to kind of get those heart rates up and get those heart rates down. So for me, it was unbelievable to just something I'd never thought about how the brain kind of connects to the different organs and how that can impact you. It, it, it blew me away. It's just incredible how these individuals can, something like that could affect them, but it doesn't stop them on their quest to striving to, to go to the gym or to not miss a training session and to, to carry on performing each year is just amazing really right yeah it's just adapting right i mean it sounds like you know you you didn't mention what her attitude or her mental state was but i i could imagine that she was probably a fairly positive person all things considered right she's probably if she's competing and she's still on this quest to perform and and still be involved in sport i have to imagine she probably still had a pretty positive attitude generally uh, even with the condition that she had and, and the new heart and having to do that warm up extra so her heart rate could actually increase because in her physical activity it, it wouldn't do it on its own yeah exactly and you just think of facing adversity and and facing setbacks and and the kind of resiliency that they that these athletes show, and, and specifically in her case, it was the, the mental strength that she had to just continue going after something so big in her life was was incredible. I, yeah. I just I was taken aback by it. And I have to I have to imagine that feels very empowering for someone like her to still be able to go out there and, and perform with having a, a new heart. 
there must be some kind of feeling of empowerment there and yeah absolutely and i guess for her it it's kind of bound by so many different motivations her, her biggest motivation is, is that she wants to keep fit and healthy to prolong her life prolong the, her organs life on that basic survival instinct but then she also wants to restore her identities and and resume kind of normal functioning life that she had before so there's there's so many different components and and like we talked about earlier when you get injured and you're kind of restoring your confidence in your knee or you're worried about getting re-injured just before you go out to perform for her it's on a different level she's thinking about is this new heart gonna keep up with me there's that automatic disconnect that she has with it and and she is trying to restore her own confidence in her body to to perform to where she wants it to be so yeah i mean there's similarities that i draw between my phd research and my consultancy as a, as an injury cycle performance psychologist there is real similarities in in both but it's incredible what these athletes can do i'm sure Oh yeah, that uh, is incredible. And I'm wondering if, you know, we always hear how when you coach or you teach somebody something, uh, which is more or less what you're doing, right? You're kind of coaching some of these athletes in the mental aspect of the game. And um, you always hear how when you do that, you know, you, you're learning yourself. As you're teaching someone, you're actually learning a lot yourself in that process. And I'm wondering if you've had any, especially with these organ transplant athletes, if you've had some tidbits of uh, life lessons that you pulled from that, something that you could apply to your own life? Yeah, I guess um, from quite a, um, probably quite a deep level is the the kind of perspective that it gives to you, right? So it's these seemingly normal people at, at first have gone through something very drastic as a transplant, which has changed their life. They were fit and healthy beforehand, uh, and now they're facing kind of a lifetime of negotiating their health, which... For me, I rightly or wrongly always took my health for granted. You never really complain until something shows up. So I think it's given me a lot of perspective on how things can, can flip, but also on the kind of strength that people show and the resiliency to fight for what they've had before or what they want to achieve in their life. And I guess, yeah, that's been the biggest lesson for me is just add some perspective to, to your life and what you're doing with it. But also know that when you are faced with adversity with challenges whether it's something like illness or whether it's an injury or whatever it is in your life there is different ways you can respond to it and going back to what you said at the beginning if you take a positive perspective which is not always easy given certain things but you can certainly take a lot of growth from a situation if you perceive it in that way right yeah I'm going to wind down to the last few questions here that I have for you. And I'm curious if there were any books, documentaries, or any, any form of media really that you would recommend to, to me and, and my listeners. Yeah. In terms of books, there's a, quite a good book. If anyone's faced a, an injury and wants to, to understand the kind of psychology behind it and wants to train their mind to come back from injury, there, there's a book by someone called Carrie Jackson. And uh, Cindy can never really pronounce her surname, but Cindy uh, Kazuma. Um, it's called Rebound, and it's just about some mental skills and, and psychological techniques that can help you come back from injury. And as someone very interested in in the area, I found this book quite refreshing and 
there's some great techniques in there. So if anyone's gone through injury or wants to have a little insight into it, I would give it a read. I'm buying that today, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm a a sucker for any documentary on sport, anything on um, performance. Uh, The big one going around at the moment, which I'm sure you've you've probably seen, is the, The Last Dance. Yep, not really specific to to sport injury, but it's a fantastic insight into one of the all time greatest in in sport and other resources I've found because one of the big things anyone that's listening to this that has experienced an injury it can be really really useful to hear other people's stories of similar injuries. So I I listened to a recent documentary by a, a guy called Rob Holding. He's an Arsenal player in, in the Premiership and. I think it's on YouTube. This It's a very short documentary on his road to recovery. Uh, he suffered quite a serious uh, knee injury a couple of seasons ago. And it's just a kind of insight into, into his day-to-day life as he recovers and what he goes through as a professional footballer, but really highlights the kind of importance of, of the social support systems within an organisation like a premiership football team and the kind of dedication he showed to his, his rehab. I thought it was, it was quite a moving documentary, I thought. What was the documentary called? The play is called Rob Holding, and the documentary is called uh, Road to Recovery. Road to Recovery. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. One, I'll actually, you just made me think of it, um, that I'll recommend. It's a hockey player, Connor McDavid. He's kind of the uh, Wayne Gretzky of today's NHL. He had a really bad knee injury the last game of the season last year, and they documented his whole recovery in the offseason season. And it, it, the documentary is called Whatever It Takes. Oh, amazing. I think it's on YouTube. Right. I'll check that out. Sounds yeah, it was really, really good. It's, um, it, it's just crazy because he had multiple surgeons telling him he needs surgery immediately. And there's no telling how he'll recover and how he'll be able to resume the sport because it was a really bad knee injury. Multiple ligaments just completely blown out. And okay. uh, he had a, a surgeon tell him, you know what, I think you could uh, avoid the surgery and try to go into physical therapy, try to rehab this. And they were doing an MRI like once every week, I think, to kind of look at the progress and adjust his rehab. So it's like, okay, what we're doing here is it's helping. Like, let's continue doing this. If you saw a little bit of a setback in an MRI, okay, let's stop doing what we're doing. And then, uh, yeah, just, just this past season, it looked like he was even better than the season before. So he made a full rebound and it was a really, really cool documentary. Amazing. Yeah, that, that sounds, I, I guess that really like touches on one thing that in, in professional sport, it, it's definitely um, spoken about a lot is that when it, when an athlete gets injured at that level, they're expected to come back stronger and fitter than ever before. And, and for some of these athletes, it's, it's just a success when they can make it back out onto the, onto the ice or onto the field. So for them to to have the demands of of reaching even higher levels than before is is just a whole other ball game, which yeah. is fascinating. But yeah, sounds like a good watch. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, all right. So one question I try to ask all of my guests is if there's, and I think you're very qualified for this and everything that you've done in uh, your career and who you've you know worked with is if you have any just words of wisdom, because I think you've already shared quite a bit in this hour that we've been talking. Words of wisdom, advice that uh, you could share with any of our listeners that maybe is injured, they could be depressed, dealing with some setbacks as we all are with this pandemic. Um, anything that uh, you would share with them? 
Yeah, I guess um, it, it's a great question. And the, the biggest thing that I can tell people, um, whether they're injured, whether they're dealing with setback, is to, to start looking at it in a different way. The whole growth mindset comes into play. There's a great book by um, Carol Dweck, actually, on, on mindset. It's definitely worth a, a read. It's basically trying to look at growth begins where adversity and injury starts. And yes, it will kind of hurt and, and the anger, frustration, disappointment, those normal responses are there. But you can look at injuries in a different way. And if you look at the good that comes out of it, you can certainly start to grow in, in physical ways, in ways that we've discussed. You know, you can strengthen weakened areas beyond how strong they were before. You can grow psychologically, whether that's developing a new perspective on, on your sport or developing a new role within a team. And, and then you can also grow personally. You know, you can develop other areas of your life with that time out from injury or build in other identities. So, yeah, the biggest takeaway for me is just start to look at injuries in a different way and it's okay to have these feelings throughout rehab throughout injury they're normal responses and if you can accept them and move beyond those you can start to grow love it that was great again carl thank you so much for your time today man it was awesome i loved uh, just picking your brain on these subjects as i said I've had, I think, about 3 million injuries. I'm sure I'll have 3 million more. <laughs> so um, I really appreciate your perspective on all of this and your experience. And yeah, maybe uh, at some point in the future, we could do this again. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. A really great chat. So thanks, Derek. Awesome. All right, Carl. Take care. Take care. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.